And I had a ticket in my pocket to get on an airplane. And a pastor came up and he said, listen, I can save you money. I said, how's that? He said, I flew a small airplane up here and I fly a small airplane and I can take you in my little airplane and you can save your ticket. And this did not sound, I said, gee, thank you so very, very much. But I've got this ticket. We'll just make our way on home, me and this other lawyer with me. He said, no, 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 you got to do it. you got to do it. And against every better judgment I had, I said, okay. We went and got on the runway. He starts down the runway. The plane lifted off ever so gently, and we start climbing. And it's wonderful. Not a problem in the world. We started climbing, and we flew probably three, four minutes. And something happened that will never leave my mind. The pilot turned to me and he said, we're going in the clouds and I can't fly in clouds. They make me pass out. I said, clouds make you do what? And he looks at me and his eyes roll back in his head and he starts mumbling and he passes out, passed out cold. Now I grabbed him and I shook him and I said, come on, you gotta wake up so I can kill you. Now we're in the clouds flying along with no pilot. And my friend in the back seat said, we're dead, aren't we? I said, there's a very good chance of that, yes. He said, what are we gonna do? I said, I don't know. But there was a radio right there and I handed him the microphone and I said, start asking for help. So he's in the back seat reaching up and he said, hello, hello. We didn't know any proper radio etiquette. All we were saying was hello. And somebody answered back, hello, hello. Don't you guys know proper radio etiquette? And I said, give it me. I said, Tell, we don't know nothing. Tell him we're in an airplane with a passed out pilot and we don't know how to fly this plane. The guy said, I'm a freighter flying out of Anchorage on the way to Tokyo. And he said, you're telling me you have nobody who can fly that plane with you? I said, tell him that's correct. Now you gotta understand, I am sweating bullets. He said, the first thing I'm gonna do is start circling so I don't lose you because I'll fly out of range of your radio and you won't have me anymore. And he said, I'm gonna get Anchorage emergency for you. An Anchorage emergency will be the people that can maybe help you try to save your life. After about five minutes, Anchorage came on, said, we understand you have a passed out pilot. And those of you do not know how to fly that plane. We said, that's right. They said, well, the first thing we got to do is find you. And I'll never forget what this man at Anchorage said. He said, my job is to get you home safe. He said, that's my job. But he said, here's the deal. If you want me to get you home safe, you got to promise me you'll obey my voice. He said, you can't see me, but I can see you. And he said, if you're not gonna obey my voice, you're gonna die. When you can't see anything, you have no idea how disorientated you become. Finally, he said, okay, I found you. Now hear me clear. He said, you're four minutes from a mountain. He said, you're gonna crash in that mountain and die. Follow my voice. I never said, I have to follow your voice. Is that reasonable? You see, I understood without his voice, I had nothing. And do you understand, without God's voice, you have nothing. Nothing. Finally, he got us turned. And he said, I'm freezing all the traffic in the area. He said, it's going to take me an hour and a half to get you to Anchorage. And there's a lot of weather between you and Anchorage. You're in for a rough ride. And he said, I want you to hear me. I don't want you to look at what's going on outside. I don't want you to pay attention to the storm, just my voice. He said, if you start watching the storm, you will die. But I'll take you through it. Now, because they cleared all the traffic, several pilots, those nighttime freighters, those 747s started talking to us. They said, we're praying for you, Ben. You're going to make it. But listen to the voice. That's the key. They said, trust the voice. Finally, we went through the worst of the weather, but there was still more. And then the voice came back and it said, now, I'm going to line you up. He said, I'm going to bring you in right down the runway. And at the foot of the runway are some lights and they're in the form of a cross. He said, don't you forget this. The cross is the way home. Finally, he's bringing us down. We still can't see anything. And all he kept saying is, stay with me. Finally, just a couple hundred feet off the ground, we saw the cross. I landed the plane. In fact, I landed it seven times. 
Finally, it all came to a stop, and the minute we stopped, the pilot woke up. The voice said, thanks for listening. I watch them crash and burn all the time because they won't follow my voice. They don't understand I'm the one who can see them even when they can't see me. But they get the voices in their head and they kill themselves. They self-destruct. Thanks for listening to the voice. Then they put us in a motel room in about four in the morning. A knock at my door. And I opened the door and a man was standing there. He said, hello, David. I said, you're the voice. You're the one who got me home. He said, I am. Do you understand one day you're going to stand before him and say, you were the voice. You're the voice that brought me home. And then we wonder why kids crash and burn. We wonder why marriages are shattered. And the Lord's saying, I'm the one who has the voice. All I can remember is that voice saying, stay with me. Stay with me. Don't listen to what's going on in your head and don't watch the storm. Stay with me. And I'll take you through. going to begin a new series this morning over the next seven weeks, just simply titled Our Core Values. When it comes to organization of a church, there are some things that are essential that we get right if we're going to do what God's called us to do. And the first thing we have to get right is our purpose, which is biblically defined. And we've talked about that a lot. The church is defined in scripture as being a place for worship, fellowship, discipleship, evangelism, and ministry. And we talked about that and everything needs to come under those categories. And then we need a mission vision for why has God placed us here? Why does God want a church in this part of Iowa? And several years ago, we felt like God spoke to us that he's called us to be a place where we extend hope and wholeness to broken humanity. But in that process, there's also a development of values what are the principles that matter to us that we will build ministry around that will help us be on the right path, fulfilling God's calling and honoring his purpose? We did a survey 13, 12 years ago and from feedback from the church and leaders and the board and staff, we came up with seven concepts that we build ministry around, and I've not seen any reason to change those over this period of time. We don't talk about those a lot, but they undergird everything. They wrap around everything that we do. And this morning, talking with the staff, we thought that this morning would be a good time to begin a journey as to what do we value and invite you to join us in that journey as well. Because what we value as a church staff doesn't matter if it's not valued by the church body. What is it we value? What is it we build around? The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6 to not store up treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But to store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then there's this concluding statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In its context is definitely talking about money. And that where you invest your money, where you put your money is where your heart will be. It's not saying that you'll put money where your heart is. He's saying where you put your money, your heart will follow that. But that principle, I think, has a broader application as well. That where your treasure is, where the things are that you value, where the things are that matter to you, there your heart will be also. And the first principle that I want us to embrace, discuss this morning is the value of biblical authority. And what do I mean by that? What do we mean by biblical authority? We don't mean the authority that you get as a child of God. We're not talking about walking in your authority. We're talking about the authority that the Bible has in our lives. 
And when you understand the authority that the Bible has in your life, then you'll be able to walk in whatever biblical authority God gives to believers. It's not the authority we derive from the Bible, but it's seeing the Bible as the authority over our lives. Some years ago, I had a moment that really, really startled me in dealing with Christians. And I don't know what you think about that, but Christians aren't always Christ followers. And I was teaching a class of college students, and I was enjoying a, a, a model where they would pose a question, I would prepare for it, and then they would ask questions, I would teach, they'd respond, we'd have some back and forth. And someone said to me, one of the students said, well, I want to know why we think premarital sex is wrong. Oh, great. For college students, that's, that's a good thing to discuss. And how many know that our culture is different? than it was 40, 50 years ago? Don't worry, I'm not gonna preach on that. I'm using this as an illustration so you can relax. When I was dating, when I was in high school, the question was, do you kiss on the first date? That's no longer the question. The question is, do you have sex on the first date? Our world has shifted and the church has been silent and our voice needs to be sounded. So I was ready for that. I worked all week and I had it all lined out. I had irrefutable arguments. I had the pathway of the beauty of sex and the place it plays as the sacrament of the marriage relationship. And I'm ready to lay that all out. And so I taught and I put all of my arguments in a row, line upon line, precept upon precept. And I'm feeling really good about what I'm sharing with them. And they're listening and, and we're right to the end of that. And that same student said this to me, an Assemblies of God college student at Iowa State University grew up in an Assemblies of God church and said to me, I already know what the Bible says. I want to know why we care what the Bible says. That's a whole different discussion. And I'm going to suggest that there might be some of us here that don't really care what the Bible says. We want what's convenient for us. We want what fits in our culture. We want what makes sense to us. But one of the values here at Berean Church in my life, on the board and the staff, and I hope with you as well, is that we recognize that the word of God, not the mind of man, not the, not the mores of, of culture, but that the word of God is the authority over our lives and everything we do and discuss cannot be measured by what you think, but by what the word of God says. Amen. Give you another example. We get into a lot of discussions in staff meeting about what we should do and not do and what's the best way and what's not the best way. And the staff will tell you that I'll let that go on for a while and then there'll come a point where I'll say, I don't want to offend you. I, I don't know if I actually say that. <laughs> but I frankly don't care what you think. I care what the data says. So give me research to back up your opinion or we're simply sitting here compiling our ignorance. Right? I didn't say that to you, I say that to the team, but if you want me to do it, I'll say it to you as well. That many discussions among Christians is not an exploration of what is right. It's simply a compiling of our ignorance based on our opinions and what we want to have happen and we argue our way through it. The Bible is the all-sufficient rule for faith and conduct for the child of God. Another example that happened here at Berean. We made a decision to have a Christmas musical take out the chairs, put tables in here, and serve food. And that offended some people. And I get that because I grew up that if you ate food in this sanctuary, you would go straight to hell. We didn't do that. 
We didn't do that at all. In fact, on a work day in the church, I'd step out in the lobby to drink my soda. I wasn't going to take a chance. But you know that this isn't the house of God? We are the house of God. And we had a discussion about why not use the best space that we have with the best equipment we have to reach out to a community and bring them into a place to experience God. And we did that. And the first time we did it, it was not received well. So I'm walking after the service toward my office. And I've just got to tell you, after I've preached twice, my tank is pretty empty. That's not the time to confront me, please, for both our sakes. And he walks in the office behind me and he said, what gives you the right to do that? Do what? Plan to serve food in the auditorium, in the sanctuary. And I said, well, there are two things that govern me legally. I will submit to the bylaws until we change them, but I'll submit to the bylaws. And second, I'll submit to the word of God. So show me where in either of those two places I can't do what we're going to do. And he said, you don't ha- I don't have to prove anything. You have to prove it. And I said, that's where you're wrong because there isn't anything in Scripture that prohibits that. And you need to search Scripture. He said, well, I haven't. And then I said, don't you dare ever again follow me into the office and rebuke me if you haven't done your work in the bylaws and in the scripture. Don't dare ever do that to me again. And he left. (laughs) He came back in about six months and apologized and became part of the body again because our all-sufficient rule for faith and conduct is what? It's the word of God. Come on, someone help me this morning. That's what we go back to. That's our authority. That's what we build it upon. So why do we care what the Bible says? It's not optional to our lives. I I really, I listen to Christians and I really am convinced that we think that the Bible is God's version of chicken soup for the soul. It's a book of good ideas and great principles, and they'll help us if we choose to read it. And if we do read it, sure, our life will be enhanced and it'll be better, but we live as though we can take it or leave it as any other book of wisdom. And it is not that at all. Why should it matter to us? Because number one, it is the word of God. What are the evidences of that? We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul writes to the church, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God. You see, the New Testament canon or collection of scripture had not been formed yet. But Paul is saying, what we are speaking to you isn't the word of men, it's the word of God. And over time, through a process of the universal priesthood of believers, we came to a gathering of those writings and said, those are as inspired as the Old Testament. And our New Testament came from an affirmation of the universal priesthood of believers through a series of evaluations to say, these documents clearly are not the words of men but these are the words of God and we're as accountable to them as we are to the Old Testament and it was developed. Paul said it matters how you receive it. I was talking with another college student standing in a backyard looking at fireworks and we're talking about the book of Daniel and the prophecies in Daniel and he's telling me what he thinks and I'm telling what what I think and And finally, we were on two different trajectories, and I said, well, let's back up a little bit. What do you believe about the book of Daniel? He said, I think it's just writings of a man named Daniel. What do you believe about the Bible? I believe it's just a collection of writings of men over periods of time. I said, so you don't believe it is the word of God? He said, no, I don't. And I said to him, that our discussion of the book of Daniel is a complete waste of both our times. 
we need to have a discussion on what is the Bible. Because if it's the word of God, think about what that implies or what that declares. This isn't the writings of Luke, Paul, or Peter, or John. This is the voice of God himself. And how you receive it will make all the difference in your spiritual life. Why do we believe? I could do a whole series on why we believe the word of God is inspired, but just think of some. The Bible itself claims to be inspired, and if it were not inspired, the character of the text would be flawed, and there would be contradictions and falsehoods in it, and it is pure and clean and without error in what it addresses and what it speaks to, and in its inspiration, were it not inspired, there'd be evidence to the contrary. Think about all of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. Over 300 Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' first coming that are completely fulfilled. Think about the unity of Scripture. 40 writers over 1,600 years. And the flow and the theme from Genesis to Revelation is the same about redemption. Think about the strengths and weaknesses of the heroes. It doesn't lie about its characters, but tells the truth, good and bad. Archaeological, scientific, and historical records are completely accurate. In fact, some of the teaching in archaeology and history has changed when it was thought to be in contradiction with Scripture. The testimony of Jesus Christ himself about the scriptures is this is the word of God and you cannot deny the spiritual impact of those who read it and believe it and experience their lives changed. It is a different book than other books. It is the revelation of God to man. Well, pastor, I don't know if I fully uh, believe that. Let me just have you think about it this way. If you believe that there is a creator of the universe that we refer to as God, then that makes him bigger than you. That means then if you believe in God, he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And don't you think that if there is a God, that in his power, he could create a written revelation of himself, entrust it to the hands of men, superintend over it by the Spirit of God to make sure that that revelation stayed clean and pure and available to us because I cannot for the life of me believe in a God who could not do that but could create mankind and bring life out of nothing. It's a different book. And when you read it, you're not reading what someone said about God. You're reading what God said about you. You need to pay attention to the book. And when people say, well, that's not for today, or that doesn't apply to me, or you choose not to align with it, what you're saying is, I know what God said, and I'm choosing to not submit to it. <laughs> Well, this isn't how I wanted to start my new year. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you start your new year this way, you'll have a better 2023 than you had in 2022. Because it is the inspired, breathed word of God. And when you read this and you begin to study it, do not ever forget that you are not studying this like another piece of literature. You're reading the voice of God. And if you wanna hear the voice and you wanna see the cross, the Bible says that faith, we quote it wrong, we say faith comes from the word of God. That's not what it says. It says that faith comes by hearing the voice and your ability to hear the voice will come from the word of God. Because as you read this and feed on it, it'll keep your heart from getting hard. It'll correct you and change you. And when you become familiar with what he says in written revelation, you'll be able to recognize his voice when he speaks in the stillness of your soul. But if you're not familiar with the book, you'll never be comfortable with the voice. Why do we care? Because it is God's 
word. We have, we have trivialized that, that we say that God's word is the Bible. True. But what does that mean? It means these, watch this. Some of you are still not grabbing hold of this. These are the words that God spoke. I'm doing some research on deconstruction. And as part of my research, I have a supervisor who is talking to me about my research. And he said, it is essential that you read first sources, not secondary sources. And then he went on to explain, if you're going to do real research, You can't use books that tell you what someone said. You have to read what those people actually wrote in their own words. You have to go to original sources. And I don't need to fill my mind with books about the Bible. As helpful as those may be, you and I need to go to the original source of the words of God. And they're in that book. That's why we believe in it. Okay, that's my introduction. Why should we care? Because it is the voice of God. The Bible is our communication from God. Second, the Bible is our foundation for life. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And most of you know the story there, the parable. Many of you probably sang it as kids. Remember, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon, come on, help me. The wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm. Then we'd do the second one, but you didn't really get into the first verse. So, <laughs> If you build it on the sand, what happens? It falls flat. So again, we have this mistaken notion that the Bible gives us a better way to build. No, the Bible gives us the only way to build. You build on the rock. You build on the foundation of scripture. Everything rests on that because if you don't, you're building on sand. And there'll be times in your life that the storms will come. The winds will rage. And you'll feel like you're surely going to die. But if you're built on the rock, Christ Jesus, someone said, many times I've trembled upon this rock, but this rock has never Never trembled beneath me. It is a safety. It is a foundation. It is strength. And if you want your life to stand, you've got to build it on the rock. And what is that rock? Jesus said, they're my sayings. They're my teachings. These are not a better idea. They're the only idea. The wise men and the foolish man. I read leadership books. And I read life skills books. I read a lot, but I'm telling you that all the leadership principles in the world won't, as important as they are and as valuable as they are, will not replace getting time alone with God and this book and letting him speak to you about how you need to live your life. I, uh, anybody ever have road rage? There are some people that should not get a license, and I would like to make those decisions. <laughs> Anybody with me? <laughs> and I had a God moment. I'm not cured, but I'm working at it. Driving down the highway, and I'm going to tell you, when someone is following me, I'm in the right lane on a four lane, and they're following me, and I'm, I'm just irritated with them. Sometimes I'll slow down. <laughs> and then when they pull out around me, like, yeah, if I can't see your headlights, you're, you shouldn't have a license. <laughs> then they get alongside me and I go back up to speed. 
And then they pass me finally, and then they slow down. That's wrong. <laughs> That's just wrong. And this guy's been tailgating me, and he pa- finally passes me. And I said, you, well, I said something. I didn't swear, but I said some things I don't want to repeat for you to hear about his character and his value on the planet. Hello? Come on, don't look at me like that. I'll ask your kids how you drive. Because they know. And I heard God say, would you like for him to hear what you said? I said, I don't care. (laughs) And then try to tell him that I love him? Ah, no, no, that would be contradictory. Then if you wouldn't, if you couldn't tell him when you're done that I love him, then it shouldn't come out of your mouth at all. That was the voice of God that I heard after spending time reading the words of God that says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? We need to build our lives on the word of God. Uh, And and I'll tell you this, I'm not trying to mess with you because I appreciate athletics and I think kids need to be exposed to sports and I'm not anti that, but I, I know you, your child will probably be the next Brock Purdy. Mr. Irrelevant leading a team into the playoffs. But you know what the odds are that your little Johnny or Sally are gonna make it to any pro sport, you've got a better chance of being struck by lightning, hit by a meteor, and winning the lottery on the same day. (laughs) But I'll tell you what I do know is 100% sure, they will all stand before God. We need to build our lives on the foundation of the word of God Because Jesus said, if you do, that house will stand. That's why we care. Third, we care about the word of God because the Bible is our offense against attack. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible tells us that the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And our response to that is to be sober and vigilant, to be aware and prepared. And our weaponry, the devil wants to see you destroyed. He wants to see your life ruined and he would like to impose on you depression and fear and guilt and all kinds of attacks of the enemy to ruin your life and to keep you in anxiety that will mark the end of time. Men's hearts will fail them for fear as we get closer to the end of the age. And when he comes against you, when the devil fights you, you have one weapon You can bang him with the shield of faith. You can hit him with the helmet of salvation. You might choke him with your belt of truth. But all of those defensive postures pale to fighting against the devil with the word of God. I stand against him. No weapon formed against me will prosper. If God be for us, Who can be against us? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I didn't say that. You didn't say that. Craig Rochelle didn't say that. The government didn't say that. God said that. And when the devil tells you that you're a failure, that it's over, that you'll never rise up again, that you have no hope for tomorrow, draw your sword and wave it in his face and drive him back because the only thing that will push him back is the word of God. We believe in the word of God because it is God's word. We believe in the word of God because it is a foundation for our lives. And we believe in the word of God because it's our weapon against the enemy. It's our weapon. This is what the word says. Man's schemes will not suffice in warfare. 
Spiritual warfare will cause you to be injured and fail if it's not Bible-based. Over the years, one of the things that has gotten me so more than just about anything are the number of books we read about warfare that have no anchor in Scripture. I, again, I, 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 I've been working on it, all right? I'm trying to, I'm trying to mellow out a little bit. <laughs> but there was a book being passed around a church that I pastored called Redeeming the Land. And it sounded so good because it said that there are demons in the land where ancestral um, spirits dwell because people have been buried there and land has been stolen. And, and if you're going to take possession of the land, you don't know what... Demonic sacrifices have been offered there and you need to redeem it. And the way that you redeem it is this, you create a canopy of praise, get people out there and begin to praise and then dig a hole in the ground and put the, the wafer of communion in the ground and then cover it with the blood of Christ, the juice, and then cover it with oil and you've redeemed the land and you've driven the devil off. And that was circulating in our church. So I brought the book to the platform and I said, here's what you ought to do with this. And I threw it as hard as I could toward the back. Because if you're playing by the devil's rules, he will always beat you. In other words, if I give you a squirt gun and tell you that it has a caustic acid and I fill it with water, but I tell you that it's a repellent against attack, and when you shoot it at me, I act like I'm burned and I roll on the ground and I act in fear and I get you convinced that it is a weapon of warfare. What have I done? I've set the stage to defeat you whenever I want because I've given you false weaponry. I'm telling you that we need to have our warfare anchored in what does the word of God say? Someone else said a few, I read a book circulating our church, said there's some, um, there's, there, are, there are disembodied spirits, and when you see one, cut the silver cord, and then they can never bother you again. Really? Really? I read something else. It said, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Oh, it sounds spiritual to say, when you're fighting against the devil, bind him and throw him in the pit so that he can't bother anyone else, except the Bible says you can't do that. Only God can do that, and it'll be at the end of, the, of time. Don't waste your time trying to fight the devil with the devil's schemes. Read what the word says. Is anybody hearing me this morning? Read what the word says. And let that be your anchor. Because your, yes, spiritual warfare is real. Yes, the devil wants to attack. Yes, he wants to destroy you. <laughs> oh, I'm trying not to step in this hole. But don't talk to me about spirits that people have that the Bible doesn't identify. There's nothing in scripture that talks about a spirit of Jezebel. It talks about women who act like Jezebel. But that's not a demon, that's flesh. And you can't crucify the devil and cast out flesh. You have to crucify flesh and cast out devils. Not trying to mess with you, I'm just saying. There is so much out there that is misleading and misdirecting. So I was, yeah, don't act like Jezebel. Don't act like Balaam. Don't act like Judas. But don't call those spirits. Unless scripture calls it a spirit. Hallelujah. I know where the back doors are. There aren't any. How is Jesus going to bring the end of the age? To the church in Revelation chapter 2, he said, Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. In Revelation chapter 19, 15, out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will then rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. 1921, and the rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of his mouth. Um, of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. You see, the word of God, the sword of the spirit is 
is how Jesus will win at the end of the age, and he makes that available to us. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It will enforce the will of God. It will show you your weakness. It will change your life and make you victorious over the enemy. Let me tell you something the Bible doesn't say. The Bible does not say that God's word will not return void. Does not say that. It says that God's word will not return to him void, but will accomplish the thing whereunto he sends it. So you can't use the word of God from your promise box like darts and throw at the devil. You need to spend time in the word, hear the voice of God, and when he gives you direction on where he will send it, then it will not return to him void and it will accomplish what he intends for it to accomplish. In other words, this isn't a magic book of spells. It is the word of God and he has the authority to direct it and you need to listen to his voice and how to use his word and it will not return to him void. It's our weaponry in warfare. Last, it's our response to temptation. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested of the devil. John tells us that the temptations that come against us are in three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And Jesus experienced all three of those in the wilderness. The lust of the flesh, when the devil said, you're hungry, command these stones be made bread. The lust of the eyes, see the kingdoms of the world, they'll all be yours. And the pride of life, if you really are the son of God, then cast yourself down. And Jesus did not win over those temptations by arguing with the devil. He overcame those temptations by answering with the word. It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Away from me, Satan, as he proclaimed the word of God. It's your response to temptation. (laughs) When you're tempted to do wrong, start speaking what the word says. Be holy for I am holy. Start speaking what the word says. And watch that temptation withdraw because it cannot stand in the blazing light of divine revelation. So, why should we care what the word says? Because it is the word of God. Because... It is the foundation for our lives because it's our offense against demonic attack and it's our response to temptation. So I'm going to close with this. I want you to listen to me very, very carefully. Can God do things in ways that aren't recorded in Scripture? Okay, listen to me carefully. God can do whatever he wants to do. And God may reveal to you a demon spirit that is opposing someone's life. And he may even tell you its name so that you can speak to it and cast it out. But here's what I know. You don't write a book about it and tell people how to war against that named spirit, here's what I know to be true. God may do things that are not articulated in the Bible, but he will never do anything that is contrary to the Bible. 
Yes, there's room for God to do whatever he wants. And I'm not telling you that every experience you have has to be spelled out line by line in scripture. But I will tell you that there's enough scripture for you to discern what's really God and what isn't. And when you're commanding angels, you're outside the authority of scripture. You are. I don't care if it works. I care what the word says. Because even if it works, if it's outside the word, it needs to be rejected because the devil will let it work so he can defeat you later. Are you hearing me this morning? What do we build on today? We build on the authority of the word of God. It will accomplish where he sends it. And we build everything on it. But what does the word say? What does the word say? That's where believers ought to go. What does the word say? I can tell you all of my life as I'm trying to land this plane the seventh time. I can't help people who put their opinions above what the word says. Come on. But pastor, don't but pastor me. What does it say? And what gives you the authority to go around it? Uh, Leanne, I'm going to use a line that came up in a meeting that you were in that I was in later. And we were having a discussion on a leadership team about what the law says. And when the law was clearly articulated, the response of a particular leader was, how do we get around that? That person should be removed in that instant. Because it tells me about your character when you understand what the law says and you want to find a way around it. It tells about your character when you know what the word says and you want to find a way around it. So I'm calling this church to make this our value, to build our lives on the word of God, to read it, to memorize it, to soak in it, to meditate on it, because it is the breath of God. Let's stand together. And could we just take time to worship him and thank him for this supernatural miracle book that we call the Word of God. Oh
a Bible with you, your digital device. If you don't have either, just hold your hand in the air, but put something in the air and say, this is the word of God. And I believe that it is true. Say it again. This is the word of God. And I believe that it is true. That is a primary core value of Berean Church. And I think it should be a core value of everybody's life. Amen. Let's stand on it, live in it, and read it, and soak in it. I do want to say two things before you go. Thank you for your faithful giving. Whether you do it online, in the mail, or drop it off here, we really appreciate your giving. And please, before you leave, join a connect group. Pastor Kevin will help you. There are people out at the kiosk. You can do it online. We want you in a connect group so we can have a greater year of relationship than we have ever had. God bless you. Shake someone's hand and tell them that you love the word.